0: It's Jazz 88. I'm chatting with Bela Fleck, the world's premier banjo virtuoso, and he's preparing for a run of four shows on Thursday and Friday over at the Dakota. There's 6.30 and 8.30 seatings each night. Bela, thank you so much for joining Jazz 88.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, you're making a return to bluegrass after an extended period of time where you were mainly focused on your work with the Flecktones. And in the bio for uh, My Bluegrass Heart, you mentioned that that time away from bluegrass gave you some new perspectives on the genre, kind of similar to Coltrane and Parker and other people who have returned to a primary genre after years of exploration. What are you finding is different about your writing and your playing now that you're back in the bluegrass setting?
1: Well, I I just have some different things to draw upon. So all of my experiences playing, you know, like with African musicians and Indian musicians in particular, give me a lot of ideas, but jazz as well. And I feel a little less restrained. It's a tricky thing being a bluegrass banjo player because everybody kind of does it because they fell in love with Earl Scruggs, but nobody can be Earl Scruggs but him. (laughs) And yet there's this sort of underlying sense that everybody's judging you because you're not Earl Scruggs. It's it's a head trip. And so I think one of the good things is I'm past that. And and one of the other things is that I just get to play with musicians that sort of are so inspiring to play with and so much fun. And bluegrass music has come a long way since I kind of left it to, to go do all these other things. The musicianship has just risen and risen. And there's these incredible players out there now that are really fun that bring new things out of me. So there's a run on answer to your question.
0: (laughs) Now, speaking of these players, one thing I love about my bluegrass heart is how jam sessiony it sounds. Even like between tracks, you kind of kept in a little bit of that banter where the players are just kind of remarking on how the take went. It gives a a vibe. It gives an energy of, of a really collaborative space and a relatively relaxed space. Was that important for you to create that environment for the music to work properly for this release?
1: Yeah. I mean, when you're playing with great musicians, which I am somehow fortunate uh, to get to do over and over again, you have to respect them and create space for them. And you have to create a, a safe environment for them to be themselves. That's not pressured. Even though you're trying to possibly do something very difficult, you don't get it by being uptight or being tense. You, you get it by creating uh, relaxation. Relaxation will give you another 20 to 30 percent added to your ability then, uh, as opposed to being tense and tight. The truth is the Bluegrass community is a community. We all love each other and we're very happy to be together and we love working on each other's music and, and trying to figure out what we can bring to each other. And so everybody came going, okay, you know, Baylor's been making records a long time. I want to bring something special to it and he's glad I, he, he got me to play, just like I would be if they asked me to play on their records. So. My goal was to make something uh, unique and special that wasn't you know, just another recording of a lot of the top players in the business, but what could I bring? And so I really had to own my own personality to make it different from everything else that all of these musicians are doing. And then I kind of went with the community aspect of it being a special thing about this record where there's a lot of people on this record, and I only wish I could have had more people mm. because there are other people that I love that I didn't end up on the record just simply because I ran out of space with a double album. Well,
0: you got these world-class players from multiple generations on this album, my bluegrass heart. With players of this caliber, I understand that a lot of what a novice is navigating or even a relative professional is navigating, that's a little bit easier for me to understand. But at the end of, I think it's Slippery Eel, Billy Strings kind of goes, "Oh my god, that was that was really hard." I think he even kind of let a cuss word fly that uh, y'all edited out of that. For the players of this ability, what makes a particular bluegrass song hard? They know the chords, they know the technique. What makes a particular song a real challenge for players of this caliber?
1: Well, my stuff has a combination of you know simple chords that you can just have fun on, and very complex lines and uh, counterparts that have to be played precisely. And uh, those are two different mental games, like improvising is all about staying loose. And uh, seeing what occurs naturally and going with anything that happens and figuring out to make something out of even a wrong note. Playing a set part, like some of the lines that are expected on some of these pieces, like, for instance, on Slippery Eel, there's a pretty intense jig, like a crazy jig in the middle of it that we have to hit cold uh, in the middle of playing bluegrass. And that's really challenging. Uh, but you can't improvise your way through it. You have to play the notes. And so that's it. The other thing is that song was very fast. <laughs> and nobody knew it. They were learning it on the spot, you know, and and uh, and trying to get to this sort of uh, super level of, you know, very high level of, of performance very fast. Everybody had heard it. Uh, maybe we got one rehearsal with some people. I think Thiele walked in that day. And then we just have a few hours to see what we can get.
0: I'm chatting with Bela Fleck. He's getting ready for a two-night, four-show run over at the Dakota on Thursday and Friday. The shows are at 6.30 and 8.30 each night. Uh, now, Bela Fleck, we're Jazz 88. We do have a great bluegrass show that's been running for decades on Saturday mornings. You're the first you know, bluegrass-oriented musician I've had the uh, pleasure of interviewing in my career. I have a question about taste and restraint within this genre. I often sure. think of really mature players in jazz, rock, R&B as maybe having a keener sense of economy, of doing less with more and being more efficient than maybe a young hotshot player might be. As I listen to Bluegrass and I listen to amount, but again, I'm, I'm no expert, it seems like filling up the majority of the notes – is something that even the most tasteful players do. There, I don't hear a lot of like half measure rests when people are soloing in this type of music. I don't certainly hear like a whole measure of rest when people are soloing, but clearly there's people who have taste and have are recognized by fellow players as really being tasteful. If it's not about pauses, how do you determine saying a player's tasteful in this genre?
1: Well, um, that's a really, really good question, um, by the way. Thank you for that. There is a tendency to fill in all the notes because bluegrass is such a, a breakdown music. Mm-hmm. You have very short solos generally. You don't have a lot of time to make your point. And the old stuff, the you know, the flat and scrug stuff, the Monroe stuff, that's how those guys played. So everybody who grew up playing that music is sort of hardwired to play that way. Now that doesn't mean you can't create space. Um you can have a lot of notes Uh, you can play the same note for a long time very quietly you can um, ripple i'm a rippler because i that's what banjos do we ripple you can play a lot of 16ths without every single note being uh, a busy while you're playing a lot of 16ths because the music kind of it's not that it requires it but it's we're just sort of hardwired that way the thing is in bluegrass people tend to stay within certain modes and scales and but that's changing. Like I think Tony Rice and Sam Bush and David Grisman broke us all out of that. Charlie Parker didn't play a lot of long notes. Coltrane would hit a long note once in a while, but the flurries were what he was doing. He was also rippling, and and there was sweep. There's a sweep to that ripple, uh, the rippling that he did. That, that there were arpeggios and all kinds of. You know, harmonic great ideas going on, and but he was also playing a, about playing a lot of flurries and fast things. But he was also good at varying it rhythmically, which is something I've tried to learn.
0: Let's open up the bluegrass dictionary real quick. When you use the term ripple, what does that mean to a layman?
1: Um, well, rippling, I think of it going almost a hypnotic, non-ending stream of notes that creates a feeling. And uh, a vibe, you can sort of think of a stream rolling by you. It never stops. But it can be very beautiful or, or it can be very intense.
0: And now earlier you used the term jig. Does that mean you're moving into more of an Irish sound? Or when when a bunch of bluegrass players say, this, this is a jig section, what does that mean to y'all?
1: It's going to be in some kind of a 6-8 okay. uh, triplet feel. The one I came up with has some jazz harmony in it. And that was what was fun about throwing it in the middle of that song.
0: I've been chatting with Bela Fleck. He's getting ready for four shows, two nights over the Dakota on Thursday and Friday. Bela, what I want to wrap up with is to get an understanding of who you're bringing with on this tour, and then if there's differences doing a kind of bluegrass tour as opposed to doing a Flecktones tour as far as how the music evolves, how the camaraderie evolves.
1: I really wanted to get to that, tell you who I'm playing with, because everybody in this band is just so good. So as I said, I've been doing this for a couple of years, and the first gigs we did were with this exact lineup. This is Sierra Hall on the mandolin, this is Michael Cleveland on the fiddle, Brian Sutton on the guitar, Mark Schatz on the bass, and Justin Moses playing dobro and fiddle and banjo and singing. Something about this clicked right from the beginning. Boy, they bring a lot of incredible technique, and they're they're stars in their own right. They, They do their own things. They all have bands. Brian Sutton, too, and, uh, and Justin and Mark. They're, they're all lifers in this music. In the future, it'll be much more occasional as we go forward. But we are doing this two-week run. We're doing a two-week run in August, and then we're getting together to go to Europe and do a bunch of cities, uh, nice concert halls throughout Europe doing it with this band in uh, February. And that's all we're really thinking about so far. There's other things coming back into play for me, I'm playing with my wife Abigail, I'm doing some orchestra things. But here we are now. We're doing it now. (laughs)
0: Well, man, and you're doing it at the Dakota. What a cool spot to see this show. Uh, Bela Fleck doing shows on Thursday and Friday, 6.30 and 8.30, both nights. Bela, I really appreciate you being so generous with your time. I know you are traveling and even playing uh, today. So thank you for making it possible to chat with Jazz88. We sincerely appreciate you.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for spreading the word about the show. I I know it's going to be a blast. Last night was the first one, and it was just the roof came off. Uh, it was really fun, so I'm I'm sure it'll be steaming by the time we get to Dakota. <laughs> yeah,
0: I love it.